0: All right, another episode of the Scoring Compass podcast. This one, uh, it's my first time speaking with somebody uh, from, well, uh, Brazil, but just from South America in general. Uh, Andrea De Pava, she is the founder of NeuroAU, which I'm going to leave a link to the website in the description to this video. As well, she is a professor. Um, at two universities in Brazil, both of which dealing with neuroscience and architecture and the connection between the two. Uh, So welcome. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you, Kemero, for your invitation. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So I started this podcast um, about a year ago, and I've had the chance to speak uh, with numerous, not only Masons, but people who are connected to masonic temples throughout the world and one thing that they always come back to is kind of how a masonic temple and their masonic temple will make them feel and the kind of psychological uh, for lack of a better term the 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 emotional connection they have to the building um, and to the architecture of the building uh, which i think is a fascinating subject the problem is I'm not smart enough to, to delve into it, but I discovered your website and it seems that you certainly are smart enough to delve into this topic. <laughs> so, you know, th- I guess before we talk about Masonic temples or the Mason- the Windsor Masonic Temple, just in general, can you talk a bit about NeuroAU and kind of uh, the idea of how architecture and built spaces can affect our... Um, you know, our emotional, our emotional centers, our neurology, um, neuroscience connections.
1: Okay, uh, so I, I founded NeuroAU because uh, this is, in my opinion, a very important topic, but yet uh, it's not very known among architects. Uh, so now it's growing a little bit. But the main purpose of the, the website and the courses I offer are, is to disseminate knowledge about the links between neuroscience and architecture. And uh, in my view, the main, the main point uh, of connecting these uh, apparently different fields is um, to help us understand how the environment, the physical environment, can affect us. I know we are aware of uh, some of the effects, but uh, what studies in neuroscience have been showing us is that there is so much more than uh, what we are aware of. For instance, um, some neuroscientists, they discuss that our conscious perception is less than 1% of all the rest that is happening uh, in a subconscious level. So there is so much of our perceptions and behaviors and feelings, emotions that will be affected by by the physical environment. So I think it's um, a very important link. And uh, now there there is a lot of uh, talk about this topic. Uh, We have the Academy of Neuroscience for Architecture, which is located at the Salk Institute. Uh, in California. I've been there already a few times presenting my work. And uh, yes, the main, I I would say the main, the main purpose of neuroarchitecture is, or neuroscience for architecture, neuroarchitecture is kind of the popular name for it, uh, is to help us understand how the environment, especially the physical environment, because we have also the social environment, but mainly the physical environment, how it can affect us our behaviors, our relationships, and so on. And one specific field inside of it uh, that I have a particular interest in is uh, short-term effects and long-term effects. So uh, the amount of time we spend in one specific space uh, will affect how it can influence us. So the more time we spend in a particular place, uh, the more uh, or the bigger the potential it has to uh, create uh, or influence us in a more enduring way.
0: To what extent is um, is is the connection that human beings have to a built environment? Um, you know, I, I was I was wondering as I was looking through through the website. You know, do, do you think that there's a like an evolutionary link in the sense that as, um, you know, way back in the day when we were, you know, running from lions and things trying to eat us, you know, shelter and, and environments were very important for our survival um, and taking some of those things and then applying them in the way we build things. Is, is there a connection there?
1: Yes, definitely there is. Uh, we usually say uh, we divide, our behavior and our, uh, in a very macro view, uh, our memories, we divide them in primitive uh, behaviors or memories and and learned behaviors and memories. So there is a great uh, part of our behaviors that is influenced uh, by primitive memories that have been uh, recorded uh, throughout our evolution. But of course, they are not the only ones influencing us. So also learned memories, learned behaviors after we are born. Uh, and then we, we, uh, we are also influenced by both of them. So uh, there are many studies showing, for instance, uh, how nature can affect us in a very positive way. And now that we are living each time more uh, detached from nature, uh, close in our apartments, how uh, it can create uh, negative effects for our not only psychological health, but also physical health and well-being in general. So this is one example. If we think that we evolved uh, like through so many years living in in a natural environment, and it's so uh, short the time, the years that we've been spending in cities and uh, especially now with internet, so we we don't even need to leave our homes. Um, This difference in time, it shows us that our brain was hardwired to present some specific behaviors and uh, some specific necessities uh, in relation with the physical environment. So there is uh, a need for contact with nature, for instance and it's being already uh, discussed for uh, among many scientists it's, it's a very it's a very discussed field in neuroarchitecture
0: and the as a as a, a freemason the um the one connection that that is often discussed is links between modern freemasonry and operative stonemasons um you know, the, the the guilds that would build cathedrals and castles and, and kind of all of the grand um, European kind of uh, structures. But even going back further, uh, we're often trying to connect ourselves or the world with this idea of, of geometric unity and geometric precision. Most Masonic temples will, for example, have somewhere floating around um, Euclid's I actually know this. Euclid's 47th problem, the A squared plus B squared, right? The the ways to make a right angle and the importance of things like a square, a level, um, different um you know, originally operative stonemason tools. Um you know, that that also really is an important thing for Freemasonry, but also kind of I got the idea from Neuro AU. This this idea of just geometry in general, of being able to recognize order in the universe and applying that to our built environments. That seems like a very, um, that seems like there's a connection there, I think, between that and the way people respond to buildings.
1: Yes, yes, there is. And uh, by listening to you and uh, looking for more information about Freemensory, one thing that, uh, even before we reach uh, geometries of the building, because there is a very important link there, I think one uh, one specific point that uh, must be mentioned is the use of symbols. Uh, so, how uh, uh, if you if you belong to a group. You you and you have a learned memory, so it's because after you were born you had experience and uh you created new memories and you have these uh, learned memories. Uh how symbols can affect our perception. And there is one a specific study about it um that I will use to illustrate what I what I want to say here. Uh there, there is this one study that was conducted uh to check why people, most people say they have a preference for Coke instead, instead of Pepsi. I don't know if you've heard about this study. I read that,
0: yeah, on, on your website.
1: Oh, yes. So it's, it's, it shows us the importance of symbols uh, because uh, what they found out doing uh, uh, an FMRI test, so measuring brain activity of participants, is that when they were uh, being blind tested, so without any association with Coke or Pepsi, they couldn't really uh, notice any difference of flavors. But as soon as they knew they were drinking Coke, for the ones that preferred Coke, of course, uh, they before uh, tasting, before uh, swallowing it, Uh, their uh, pleasure circuit in the brain was activated just by listening to the word Coke or by seeing the logo, for instance, which is a symbol. Um, And so it shows us how uh, our perception can be influenced. It's not only about the taste, because before people tasted, this pleasure circuit uh, was activated. And this was the main uh, reason scientists concluded that made people perceive the flavor flavor differently. So uh, when you use so many symbolic uh, features in architecture or in in drawings, for instance, you are also dealing with that and you also have this power of uh, conducting or inducing perception through symbols. So, and you mentioned uh, this square shape, and one thing uh, that, that I was really, that really caught my attention when I saw uh, the Windsor Masonic Temple tour was uh, the layout of some of the rooms, especially the red and the, and the blue rooms. Not only the shape of the room kind of uh, square or, uh, or as a rectangle, but the layout of how people sit in the room. It's not like a, a common theater that everyone is sitting here and there is a stage over there. Um, and, and the layout can influence how we relate to each other. So there is this very famous quote by Winston Churchill, we shape our buildings thereafter, they shape us. And when he said that he was uh, discussing the uh, when they were going to rebuild the British House of Commons. And they were deciding about the layout. And what he was uh, defending was to keep the layout. It's kind of similar, not exactly similar, but it's kind of similar to the rooms uh, at Windsor Temple because uh, people sit kind of one in front of the other, like at the, uh, it's not everyone in one side and the stage is in the middle. So how we organize the layout and the people can influence relations and perceptions of others. So it's not only perception of architecture we're talking about here, it's how we perceive what we are living inside of that space. So if we compare this kind of layout with uh, the layout of uh, many uh, rooms at uh, United Nations buildings that have uh, a round, rounded uh, layout, we can see that this is not just, uh, I don't know, for uh, any uh, aesthetic purpose, but it also has the power of shaping relations. So what do we say when we sit one in front of the other, in general, it's more kind of um, help us to have a stronger or a warmer debate about something. If we are in a rounded uh, space, it's not so confronting uh, the layout. So people tend to have uh, discussions that are not so acerate, so, uh, so warm, I would say. So this is one example of uh, the layout shaping, uh, shaping behaviors and shaping relationships of people. And it, it caught my attention because both rooms, they have that, this very particular uh, choice for layout.
0: Yeah, you know every um, I talk to to new guys um, or really anybody, but you know newer masons. My my advice is always as much as possible, and it's very hard right now uh, to travel and to visit um, uh, other lodges and other Masonic temples because every you know the exterior of every Masonic temple will be different depending on. Uh, just whatever circumstances it may be off, you know, in a smaller town, it may be a rented space above the local pub or bar. And and in a larger city, it may be its own building owned by the lodge. But every, um, yeah, every lodge room itself within a temple will have that same basic layout. You'll have an altar in the middle, you'll have um, seating on the north and south sides, and then the officers sitting, you know, east, south, and west. Uh, actually, I had a gentleman on the show, William Moore. He's a professor at Boston University. He did a study on Masonic temples in New York from 1870 to 1930, which is kind of the uh, kind of the major boom time in, in Masonic growth. Um, but, yeah, he talked about that a lot, about the way in which people are situated because they're all – he said, you know, unlike, you know, many churches, for example, where everybody is facing the priest or the, um, you know, everybody's, everybody's facing somebody who's meant as a conduit between the higher power and the congregation. Um, in, a, in a Masonic lodge, everybody is facing the altar where a holy book will be sitting. Often, doesn't have to be oftentimes a Bible, but it can be a Quran or an eagle feather for First Nations or a Torah because there's not meant to be a, um, uh, a conduit. It's it's about the particular brother's relationship with the higher power or the Supreme Being kind of as he sees it. But yeah, that's the thing I talked a lot about with, with William Moore. So it's neat that you also saw that. It's kind of one of those cool consistencies.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. And... Another point that I was going to make, uh, because you mentioned that depending on the size of the community, they will use their own building or they will have, uh, I don't know, some specific place in a pub or somewhere else. And there is a very important link that is not yet so discussed among uh, 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 people studying your architecture, which is the link between memory And spaces so because you have your own building and you are always using the same spaces it can be the red room or the red Lodge or the blue Lodge but even so it's all uh, they all belong to one same building and whether one or the other you will be in one of them so um, this will not only affect how we record new memories but uh, especially uh, how we retrieve memories about past meetings we had. So uh, there are studies showing that if I'm having classes about a specific subject and then I will, I am tested about it in the same classroom, I tend uh, to have a better performance than if I am uh, tested in a different room, in a different place. Because the space will affect how uh, will affect our ability to retrieve memories. So if we're having our third, 10th, 20th meeting uh, in the same building, in the same room inside this building, uh, it's easier for us to create uh, a shared memory and to access this memory each time we are going back to the room or, or to the building. So this is something that is very important and in, in, in this case is that you see uh that the community has its own temple. I
0: um I, I had to ask because it, it I think I, I had a kind of a general idea, though I couldn't explain it scientifically about, for example, um, you know, why why a, a, a building will affect um you know, different will bring up different emotions and different feelings within somebody within it. But one thing I never thought of until I read, uh, it was in the 12 principles, I believe on the neuro AU website. Uh, it mentioned that, um, a built space and these principles can affect our immune systems, which I never would have, have considered or thought of. Um, and, you know, in the midst of a, a super fun global pandemic, uh, That just really struck me. I I never had considered that aspect of it. So how does a a built space environment affect our immune systems?
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, In there are many uh, different ways. So this is why it's a very complex field to study. You have like, uh, it's like uh, a jigsaw. You have to connect all the pieces. But for instance, well, first of all, uh, ventilation. So the, the, the quality of the air and the fact that we have windows and fresh air coming in, this is one specific and very uh, obvious uh, one. So it's, it's a very old one discussed for a long time, not, uh, it's not, not something new. But uh, there are others that are more uh, challenging to understand. So for instance, natural lighting can affect our immune systems. Uh, not only uh, because they help to kill germs and things like that, but because when we have natural light on our skin, uh, like uh, in contact with our skin, so sunlight uh, reaching our skin, uh, we are able to produce uh, vitamin D, which is uh, uh, very important for, uh, among other things, our immune system. Uh, so this is one example. And natural light is very important for not only that, but also to keep our, uh, 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 our um, how do I say, circadian rhythm, which is our uh, clock, biological clock working properly. So we are able to sleep at night. And sleep affects uh, our immunity. So if I don't have the proper lighting during the day I might, or during the night, the dark at night, uh, I might not uh, sleep well. So there is kind of, um, it's not a direct effect of architecture, but it's uh, it's still uh, influencing us because if architecture or the environment affects the quality of our sleep uh, in the long term, not one night, it's okay. We will be in a bad mood. We won't be able to produce as well as we would uh, if we had slept. But it's not a, a such a big deal, but on the long-term, that's why I like to study time uh, in relation to architecture. On the long-term, this can really uh, be a problem to our uh, immunity. And I would say um, the third element I mentioned, um, I mentioned ventilation, lighting, nature, I mentioned previously uh, and there, there are also studies showing that people recover fast when they are in a hospital, if they have uh, a window with a natural view instead of a window with a view to the city or to a wall. So there are many studies showing that looking at nature, um, that uh, listening to sounds of nature can affect our stress levels and uh, also can affect our health. And even our perception of pain can change if we are looking to natural sites. And the last element, I would say, is enrichment. It's kind of uh, it's a more complex uh, idea of an environment, but uh, there are many studies showing that enriched environments can help our brain to be stronger and healthier by uh, stimulate, stimulating new connections between neurons. But what do I what do I mean by enriched environments? Um, they have uh, some uh, particular particular features together. So uh, specifically, they have uh, uh, opportunities for physical exercise. So movement. It's not just the gym that I'm talking about, but the layout of a room can make us. I don't know. Stand up and walk to the toilet or walk to the kitchen and walk uh, larger distances or shorter distances, depending on the layout. And this affects our health. Walking is uh, very important for, for our body and for our brain. And, uh, and also another feature from enriched environments, not only opportunities for our body to exercise, uh, but also multi-sensory stimulation. So stimulation for all the senses, Sometimes uh, we think of architecture, we only think of images because we are in a very, uh, in a, I don't know, in a time that we are valuing so much pictures because of Instagram and I don't know, especially Instagram. Uh, but uh, our experience of the environment is multi-sensory. So, uh, and when we have this opportunity uh, of being stimulated uh, in all our senses, This is, uh, and together with stimulating our body in exercises and a few other uh, features together, uh, they make this, uh, what the scientists call, enriched environments. And they can influence our uh, brain and our neurons to uh, improve their connections. And on the opposite side, uh, an impoverished environment. So you mentioned the pandemic, and we are living uh, inside our homes, like most of the time, so even if we live in a very nice home, it's still we don't have uh, we don't have novelty, and novelty is very important to keep our brain stimulated. So uh, on, I was saying the positive side side of enriched environments. Uh, it's good for the connections between neurons. And the negative side of impoverished environments is that it also can influence uh, our, the connections of neurons, but in the opposite direction. So we can lose connections or weaken connections. And on the long term, our brain will not be so efficient. So especially our memories and learning will be affected. And even on the, uh, uh, on the long term in a... Uh, uh, bigger scale, uh, it can influence our uh, aging. Uh, so our cognitive abilities while we are aging. So we can uh, have a healthier aging and with a better brain, a better functioning brain or not depending on the environments uh, we've been spending our lives. So I think these are some of uh, the ways that the environment can affect our immune system and our health in general, and not only behavior, not only the, the faster uh, effects that we can imagine uh, an environment might
0: cause. Yeah, I, I did an interview uh, with Rosemary Fish. She's with the local and Windsor Alzheimer's Society for Windsor Essex, but... Um, yeah, it was a couple. Uh, I think last month now. So you know, during this pandemic, but you know, we we talked about you know one the benefits on cognition and cognitive health of organizations such as Freemasonry and having a place for older members or members might be alone to go, and also um, where when they go, they they may be required to do some work or do some memory work or be engaged in lodge activities, and kind of the danger now, as you said, of um, people being more isolated and trying to still reach out to them um, you know during during these times the the lighting and stuff you talked about was interesting to go to go outside of remains me for a second I um I worked in a, a jail for about five years It was a, a new structure very very recently built but I know one thing they really emphasized was natural light and windows and trying to get as much natural light into the building as possible and, and kind of courtyard areas for both for both uh correctional officers and staff and as much as possible for uh, the inmates um because i know you know older jails some of those things are built like fortresses where you know it's very difficult mm-hmm. to get light unless um or there's not a lot of lights coming through so that that's that's an interesting thing just all of the things people don't necessarily think about when constructing a building that does affect your health and our outlook.
1: Yes, and you mentioned the Jo example. And uh, I think uh, another positive effect of light, especially in this example that you mentioned, is that uh, natural light can influence uh, the production of serotonin, which is a neurotransmitter in our brain uh, that influences mood, especially mood, so, and uh, if we lack uh, serotonin, we might uh, develop uh, depression. It's, it's higher the risk of depression, uh, especially in, in colder countries. Uh, there, there is the seasonal uh, disorder uh, that you have, uh, people uh, tend to have during winter because of the lack of sunlight. So uh, well-being and uh, mood control, feeling of happiness can be also influenced by natural light. So uh, not only when we design buildings, we, ha- we have to consider uh, these points. But also, even we, if we are not architects nor designers, uh, but if we have this knowledge, we, we will perhaps uh, make a better use of our buildings. So, now, in the pandemic, uh, I see many people working with uh, their windows and curtains closed. So, no natural light entering the room, but perhaps if uh, somebody told them how important it is, at least for a while during the day, not the entire day, uh, they would, they would uh, make a different use of the building. So, that's why I think uh, we should discuss this not only among architects and scientists, but also among everyone that uses any kind of building. So it's useful for everybody, I would say.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I I think we still, I think most of us still don't recognize the effect of of a built environment, whether it be our home or our city uh, can have on us. Um, we, We may understand kind of general feelings of nostalgia or we like a place or we like how it looks, but the actual you know, neuroscience connections, uh, I don't think enough of us pay attention to. Um, one thing I talked about with Professor Moore, which I'd love to get your your take on, is he discussed a um, Masonic lodge room in particular, because a Masonic temple, like the Windsor Masonic Temple, will have Lodge rooms, but also spaces for the public and a learning center, and a lot of different areas. But a lodge room, um, which is where Freemasons will meet and hold ceremonies and business meetings, he described it as a mythic space uh, when it's designed, uh, meaning it's meant as a space that is supposed to be. He he said outside of um, like normal space and time. The theory being, if I'm in. A lodge room in, uh, say, Brazil. I should be able to, even if I don't understand what you know, the ritual works being said, or if it's a different language, um, different continent, different time zone. I should still, when I wheel into it, be able to recognize the room itself, to be able to have a sense of home and continuity between that one and Windsor, and and I've certainly had that feeling. I've been lucky enough to visit numerous masonic temples and the lodge rooms within the temples and even if it's a different country a different time zone a different language you can still kind of feel you still kind of feel like okay this is you know the outside of the world is separate and this is you know my home as much as windsor as much as anywhere else um, and that i think goes to kind of the standardized layout that is is Supposed to be in every lodge room, everything should be facing a certain way, and the master should always be in the east. Um, so I guess just just that idea of, of a masonic lodge room as being kind of a, a, a mythic space or a, a space separate from whatever's happening outside of the four walls.
1: Um, I saw. Uh, I, I don't know uh, any other. I only saw Windsor Masonic Temple, so I don't know any others to to compare uh, it with but um there there were uh many uh features that uh were really interesting in the sense um at the Windsor masonic temple so the um the first one is the color I don't know if every Masonic temple has the red room or the blue room, but this is a very strong element uh for In in many senses, Uh, of course, there are many studies about psychology of color and neuroscience of color, Uh, and what we know today is, first of all, uh, culture influences color. So, how a color will affect me depending on depends also on my culture. So, a blue might have a specific meaning for me here in Brazil, uh, in São Paulo, or working as an architect. Uh, and uh, blue uh, or red in a different co- culture can mean something completely different. Can mean I don't know Valentine's Day or war or communism. So, so many different ideas connected to color. So, okay, there is this cultural influence, but apart from that, uh, I think one of the first questions that you made to me was about primitive memories or primitive behaviors that were uh, hardwired while during our evolution. Uh, and one of them is our uh, re- reaction to some kinds of colors. So there are studies showing that warmer colors, they might activate our sympathetic uh, nervous system. And um, colder colors, such as blue, uh, might activate uh, the parasympathetic um, nervous system. So what does that mean? Uh, Warmer colors, colors, such as red, uh, affecting the sympathetic uh, nervous system. Uh, they are The sympathetic nervous system uh, makes our bodies and brain more active. So when we are uh, more stressed, not only the, the negative stress, uh, like chronic stress, but if I am more awake, paying attention, I have more activity of this system. On the other hand, if I am more relaxed, about to go to sleep, I have a higher active uh, activation of the parasympathetic uh, nervous system. So one is associated with uh, relaxation, and the other with uh, stress adaptation and awakeness. So the two uh, rooms with uh, it's not just uh, a delicate blue or just one detail in red. It's the complete room uh, using those colors. So this is something. That really changes how uh, the room might affect us. It's a very strong use of blue as maybe a relaxing color and red as a more, uh, a color that activates us. So, this is one thing uh, that makes them really special in some way, uh, really unique. And each one of them might uh, affect us in different ways because of the use of the color. But there are other features, such as windows. So I don't know, again, I don't know if other temples are like this. But uh, the blue room had no windows at all. And the red lodge had uh, only in one wall and very high windows. So you were not able to see what's going outside. Only the light uh, would come in from the window. Or the so other this, way. Or the other way, yes
0: that's the you know i eventually know every every lodge room will be set up in the same um same basic structure which which they are or they should be if they're doing it right um but there have been you know one thing uh and i never realized it till i visited is if i see a window looking into a lodge room even if there's blinds uh and it's covered i still get uncomfortable um because you know i i came I joined and my dad was a Mason um, and you know, the, the quote unquote secret society stuff gets thrown around a lot, which it gets overplayed, especially in like the Dan Brown style books, but I have always liked the idea that, you know, the ceremonies, um, um, Masonic ceremonies remain secret to those who are Freemasons, um, which is, you know, was the theory behind why so many lodge rooms don't have windows so that people couldn't be peeking in and, and spying on the ceremonies. So it's funny you bring that up, because yeah, to, I remember visiting, I think it was in Chicago, or not Chicago, but and I, I remember I was sitting in a log room that had a window. And I remember I, I kept looking at that window, not very, very, very uncomfortable with it being there. Despite, I think we were on the second floor, so who's getting a ladder, but still. It's, yeah, the, the, the windows, and that's something that we've talked about with others, kind of the, the lack of windows another way to separate the room from the world outside and then make it a place unto itself.
1: Yes, and uh, as you mentioned, the lack of windows help uh, uh, that people from outside won't sneak uh, and, I don't know, try to spy or see something, but also it will influence your experience during a cer- ceremony because you will feel safer uh, without the window, as you mentioned, you were on the second floor, but still you were uncomfortable because of the window. So it also has uh, to do uh, with the feeling of safety uh, inside of the building. Of course, because it has this particular use, it's not for all the buildings, but in this specific case, it's a very strategic uh, solution. And I would say another point that was really uh, interesting, uh, I think was the ceiling high, uh, as I could see from, uh the, uh, the, the blue room, the, the high of the ceiling was lower, and the red room, it was much higher. Uh, I don't know if it's just an impression. It was it.
0: Yeah. I think that's an impression They they should be, they should be about the same height. The, the red room, um, it, it is, it was built with fewer seats. The, the blue room has tiered seating um about two hundred seats um going up the red room only has basically one one kind of tier and then it has a balcony where they could have excess seating um so the balcony is is lower kind of relative and mm-hmm. the actual ceiling proper itself is is about the same height they're both very very high
1: oh because of the window uh showing up on the red room it's it's it's, it really made me think uh, the ceiling high was uh, higher and then in the blue room so I won't mention this one because if it's just an impression it don't it's not important to mention but uh, you were asking me about uh, the feeling of uh, I don't know, you've you been in a Manso- Ma- Masonic temple here in Brazil or in Canada or anywhere else in the world, you're feeling kind of, spe- specific, specifically uh, in the lodge, you've, you still can recognize this place. Uh, and I would say maybe there is another element that could influence, but again, I'm not familiar with other Masonic temples, which is the smell. You answer me if, if you would say if you if you think this is a point. But I saw that um, in the plans, in the blueprints, uh, there there were a specific uh, um, information about oh oak floor or another kind of wood floor, and even if we are not uh, consciously aware of a smell, the smell of a room. It, uh, the smell is our most primitive sense and it has a great influence on our territoriality and feeling uh, on our memories and uh, the feeling of safety. So uh, and this is being used not only uh, not only in stores, so you have your uh, scent signature. But also, uh, banks are using this. So, if I have to make a very uh, huge operation, a financial operation here or in the other side of the world, still, if I'm uh, in the same uh, um, bank, I smell similar to what I I can, that the smell is similar to what I would feel here in Brazil. And this helps me to feel safer. Uh, Hotels are also making use of this. So even if you're sleeping in a very different country, different culture and so on, because of the smell being familiar to something from your own country, uh, this will also influence uh, your perception of the whole experience, not only of the hotel or the bank, but of the whole experience. It will influence your behavior and perception. So maybe, I don't know the smell of the room, the use of materials, even if it's not a very strong smell, like something that is uh, that it's clear that someone have added with a purpose, but because materials are, are similar, uh, the smell should be also similar, especially with no windows. Uh, and then this could be also an element uh, to influence and to create this sense of identity, even if you're in a lodge in a different country or culture.
0: That's interesting. I don't know, I, I would have to do some research because I can't, I'm trying to think of all the, all, of all the times I've visited. I would have to do some research to to determine um, kind of how common are uh, those building elements as like the, the blueprints for the Masonic temple it is, and it's still original to 1920s, um, you know, maple, oak, um, uh, marble, uh, what's it called on, um, I can't remember the, the uh, uh, terrazzo flooring, like, um, but the, the, the oak and maple, I, I wonder because, you know, the Masonic Temple, Windsor Masonic Temple was built in 1921. That kind of was the golden age, at least in North America and England, and there's a lot of kind of socioeconomic factors for this, but that kind of was the the main boom time in Freemasonry. So any of kind of these grand Masonic structures that you see would date to around the 1920s. Um, so I don't know if we were all limestone, if we're all using the same materials, uh, since we're all building around the same time. Um, that's interesting to to, yeah, I wonder about that. I've never thought about what the actual nuts and bolts of, you know, the sticks and bricks of a building of the Masonic temples are beyond beyond Windsor because I just love it so much. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to, I'd have to check that out. Um, I do wonder though, going back, what, what I found going back to the, the ceilings or the roofs, it's generally been my experience that when a Masonic, when a Masonic lodge or lodges have the capacity to build their own temple. Um, so if it's a bigger town, uh, Bay City, which is not a bigger town, but it's it's got a very large cathedral, um, Hamilton, Windsor. Um, if they have the capacity to build their own building, they will by default go for Detroit, will go for a higher ceiling. I find is a general rule. Um, there are smaller lodges in in small towns where, you know, they may only be a lodge of a couple hundred people. So they either rent out a space and they kind of have to use what's available or they can only afford to build a, you know, a very small, um, a smaller temple. But if uh, if uh, if the financial capacity and the numbers are there, especially again, going back to the 1920s, Generally speaking, you see at the at the Windsor Masonic Temple very high, kind of grand ceilings. Um, Any any reasons you think why that might be the case that a a mason would, as a rule, prefer a a higher ceiling if they can?
1: Yes, um, there are uh, uh, recent studies about this, so including neuroscience studies and. The term I'm going to use is not so recent. It was uh, created by uh, Edward T. Hall, I think, in the 60s. And uh, he uses the term uh, cathedral effect. So he was comparing how we feel when we enter a very small church or a cathedral with high ceilings uh, and uh, what happens to us. Because the feeling is completely different. he observed that in the 60s, but uh, now we have this, uh, these uh, recent studies showing that um, our brain state and our emotions, uh, they change according to the ceiling height. So higher ceilings, uh, they tend to stimulate, um abstract thinking while um, lower ceilings, they help us. Uh, they give us a sense of confinement, and they help us to be more uh, concentrated. And perhaps they help us with more analytical thinking. So it's kind of uh, op- um, opposites. Uh, uh, oppos- uh, They're different ways of thinking. Abstract thinking help us to be more creative. Uh, it influences um, our imagination uh, and lower ceilings uh, with the sense of confinement. Uh, Analytical thinking, we will be able to, I don't know, concentrate more uh, in specific things and not uh, this holistic view that the the higher ceiling can help us. And this is used uh, in stores, for instance, to influence our perception. So there are studies showing that people tend uh, to pay less attention to how much they are spending uh, when they are buying in stores with higher ceilings, because of this they uh, perhaps you're more uh, imaginative about using the product and uh, I don't know how you're going to uh, have it in your personal life and you don't pay attention to more specific details such as we, money.
0: yeah, now you say that you realize that every treasurer in a masonic temple who watches this is now going to request that the ceilings be lowered in their lodge rooms <laughs> by like 50 percent so they don't have to pay so many bills mm-hmm. but, yeah. mm-hmm. to uh to my treasurer uh don warner please don't ask to lower the ceilings i won't i won't <laughs> send you so many bills i promise
1: and um another thing that uh i think it's interesting i don't know if in all masonic temples but i think so Uh, but at the Windsor uh, Methodic Temple, it was uh, a very interesting element. It's uh, the transition spaces before you reach the main lodge. So it's it's not just I enter and there's the lodge. No, you enter the building, there is the reception hall, the inner lobby, and then the lodge lobby. So there is, um, I should say, uh, a concern about uh, building the experience, not only the building, but b- constructing the experience people will have there. So it's kind of a way uh, to warm up the brain. So you you arrive uh, for a ceremony there, but you arrived from your work, so you're stressed, you're thinking about your boss or, I don't know, the traffic, and you're not really... All prepared to the ceremony you will attend to. So these uh, transition spaces they will help to prepare you uh, to forget about the boss, forget about the traffic, and finally, when you reach the main lodge, then you will you will be more prepared. Your brain will be more warmed up uh, for the ceremony, and this is something that it's being really discuss not only in architecture but the importance of warming up the brain for any activity we will have uh, there is uh, there are discussions about uh, for instance one negative effect of home offs while we are during the pandemic there are many people saying i am i don't waste time in the traffic but it's still i am not producing as much as i would if I had, uh, if I were at my office. And uh, one one reason for that, that is being discussed, is that the time we spent uh, preparing ourselves uh, and go in the traffic or in the underground or bus and going to work, it was some kind of warming up for us, uh, for when we reach work, we would be more prepared to start something, an activity, and then really Focus on that. But if I'm home, I just had breakfast. My family is discussing with me, and I'm also here trying to work. And uh, this lack of uh, warm-up uh, activity or routine, this can influence our emotions uh, and even change our not only our performance but also our perception. So emotions they act like a filter. Like if I change uh, the lens of my glasses for pink. Pink, and I would see the, I don't know, the word pinker or darker, and I would see everything darker. So, if I am arriving at a ceremony thinking about a problem I had with my boss, perhaps this filter will be a little bit darker than it should. And then I will, the attention I will pay and the way I will perceive the ceremony, the people I will meet, will be different uh, if I had had uh, a better experience previously. So, trans transition spaces they help uh, to align and to neutralize a kind of uh, the emotional state of the brain so that you will I don't know be uh, in a neutral state to pay attention and perceive whatever uh, is happening inside the building
0: and the you know that that also goes back to the windows um, discussion before because the you know, the the antechamber rooms before you go into the lodge room itself does have uh either three 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 or four large windows. Um three windows and then the courtroom has a window too. Um and they all face the the front facade where the antechamber is, is in the western part of the building. We normally meet, you know, primarily lodges tend to meet in the evening, um with, with exceptions. So you know, we're arriving there, especially in in summer, right? When when we get there, usually the sun is shining right into those windows. So you go from the antechamber with the windows and the sunlight into the log room itself, where as it should be there, there are no windows. It is another kind of transitional element to go from kind of connection to the outside world, to the log room itself. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes, definitely. And uh, even uh, you mentioned uh, the lack of windows. But also I saw a video uh, of your YouTube channel where you were talking about the columns in the front of the building Uh, even though there are these columns uh, you can see that they are not detached from the wall uh, in a way that you have um, a perception of transparency of the building of being inside and outside at the same time it's very Uh, Specific, you're outside, or you're you're passing through the door, and you're inside. So to make this uh, transition very clear, although there are uh, uh, transition spaces inside for the ones that can enter, but from outside, you're really you're just outside.
0: Absolutely, yeah. One one thing I worry about though, with I suppose any organization, but I, I think Freemasonry can have this and it may connect to neuro architecture and our relationship to, to buildings. Um, you know, if somebody, my concern is if somebody spends uh, myself, you know, I'm trying to fight this, this tendency, but you, you spend enough time in a building that you love um, it can be very easy to, I, I worry that sometimes you get stuck in a rut in terms of how you view the building or what is possible for the building or, or new ideas. Because if you've only ever seen a uh, a room or a building used in a certain way, um, new ideas are thinking outside the box. You know, the example, because I love anything scary, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, so I love haunted houses and all that. So, you know, two years ago for Halloween, um, I was able to organize the haunted Masonic temple where we brought some families in and kids in and they went around and, um, you know, we had scared people popping out. Like I got the idea from Bay city actually, but I know there were some, you know, older members. And I've seen this in other Masonic temples and things too, who, because they never seen anything like that before at the building, they were like, well, that's not the purpose of the building type thing. Um, and I know you talked about how the length of time in a building will affect a relationship to it. Is it ever possible, and I guess, do you have any any suggestions to, uh, you know, the danger of um, not being able to see, you know, try new things or becoming very static in a building um, because you get so used to seeing it only as X and not thinking about outside the box possibilities?
1: Um. I think there is one uh, positive thing about uh, using the building uh, most of the time in similar ways that is creating tradition. So this is one thing that is really important uh, in this context. But uh, another very important element when we have a routine or a tradition is to sometimes be able to break it. But it's only very special if it's sometimes, if we're always breaking tradition, tradition doesn't exist anymore. So I think, yes, it's more difficult for uh, in general, not everyone, but in general uh, for older people because they have spent like an entire life doing the same thing uh, as before. So uh, if you're the more you get used to a routine, uh, the more difficult it is to break it, if you're if you're always training yourself uh, to break routines, it's easier for. And this is something uh, not only philosophical, but it's uh, uh, there. There is uh, a discussion about it in neuroscience in, in the neuroscience field. So there is uh, uh, an analogy that a professor called Pasquale Leoni Uh, made about how the brain works uh, in this regard. And he says, uh, we have to imagine that uh, our brain works in a similar way to a a mountain full of snow. So if every time uh, we are trying to go uh, using our skis to go down this mountain, if we always use the same way, the snow will have like a very... uh, specific path and it's going to be hard to make to to change the path but if you train yourself to always choose a different way then when you have to make a change uh, a curve or something like that it's easier because there's no will not be so hard on that path and uh so uh tradition is important But it's also important to train people to, eventually, sometimes, uh, break it. Uh, And it gives a very special uh, sense uh, to people when they have this opportunity to see the building, uh, generating other uh, feelings in other people, and to create new memories about the building. Uh, We we discussed about the importance of architecture and memories, this connection so i should say tradition is very important but it's important to also have a perhaps a tradition of breaking tradition once in a while i don't know if it made
0: sense no it, it does it reminds me of you know something i try to practice and i've suggested it to newer masons we so part, a large part of our ceremony um, is ritual work um where you don't have to but it's pretty bad form uh, you really should be memorizing your piece of work um and when you present it as part of the ceremony and you know i found myself i've only been a mason for 13 years um you know when i got my first piece of uh, of work to, to memorize um i was just so happy to have a piece and to memorize it that i just said it you know um, um i didn't you know Uh, experiment with say different uh, with emphasizing different words or different parts Um, but at a certain point you know the more you do it that way it kind of starts to become dangerously rote you don't necessarily hear yourself saying the words it's just a reflex Mm -hmm. Um, and so I always suggest to you guys and and for myself I'll make a conscious effort I won't change the words um, but I will for example try to emphasize different words or different parts or include a different Gesture or emotion um, as I'm I'm speaking, and that helps keep it fresh for the candidate to a certain extent. Although it's the first time he's hearing it, but he should be able to see that I'm, you know, uh, engaged in the work. But also for myself and for everybody watching, um, it's a way to keep the the ritual fresh by, I said, uh, adding some, adding a different emphasis or adding a different pause in a different place or adding a different gesture connected to a certain word or idea. Um, It's just important that, because the danger is, you know, if you fall into that, the skiing is a great example, you know, if you always ski the same path, at a certain point, the danger is you maybe stop thinking about skiing or you're doing, you just act out of reflex as opposed to conscious thought or effort.
1: Yes. And um, Daniel Kahneman, which is uh, a psychologist who won the Nobel Prize of Economics in 2002, he uh, discusses our automatic pilot and how uh, this automatic pilot controls uh, a large part of our behavior, even uh, without us being aware of it. So it's a very, as as you said, uh, you do uh, uh, when you have to to speak something, but uh, it's uh, an exercise. We have to be consciously aware we're doing. Otherwise, we will just, the automatic pilot uh, will turn on and we won't be paying attention. We won't be listening anymore because it's so automatic uh, that uh, it's it's really an important initiative. um, not only uh, regarding the architecture and how we use the building, but also as we conduct our, our lives and, and the ceremonies to, to always pay attention and do not leave it to the automatic pilot.
0: So I haven't had the chance to do this yet. So congratulations, you're the first interview, but I love, as I mentioned before, I love anything scary. And just before I actually turn this on, I saw this book in my bookshelf, uh, Stephen King's Dance Macabre. I don't know if you like Stephen King or not. Yes. This book, it was about, um, uh, I just lost the page, I had it a second ago, uh, about other horror fiction. And one thing that he talked about was uh, a book called The Haunting of Hill House. It was actually turned into a movie um i forget when but it was written by shirley jackson in the 50s i think anyways i want to read this part and get your thoughts on it because when else will i get the chance to bring this up but it's about (laughs) a place called hill house and it's haunted i guess but here's the uh here's the the description Um, stepping into hill house is like stepping into the mind of a madman it isn't long before you weird out yourself no human eye can isolate the unhappy coincidence of line and place, which suggests evil in the face of a house, and yet somehow a maniac juxtaposition. A badly turned angle, some chance meeting of roof and sky, turned Hill House into a place of despair. The face of Hill House seemed awake, with a watchfulness from the blank windows and a touch of glee in the eyebrow of a cornice. Eleanor shook herself, turning to see the room complete. It had an unbelievably faulty design, which left it chilling in all the wrong wrong in all its dimensions, so that the walls seemed always in one direction a fraction longer than the eye could endure, and in another direction a fraction less than the barest tolerable length. This is where they want me to sleep, Eleanor thought incredulously. What nightmares are waiting? shadowed in those high corners, what breath of mindless fear will drift across my mouth? And shook herself again. And then uh, King goes on to just mention, uh, we see a horror story developing here that Lovecraft would have embraced enthusiastically had he lived long enough to read it. HPL was struck by the horror of wrong geometry. He wrote frequently of non-Euclidean angles that tortured the eye and hurt the mind and suggested other dimensions where the sum of a triangle's three corners might equal more or less than 180 degrees. Contemplating such things, he suggested, might be enough in itself to drive a man crazy. Uh, So we've talked about kind of the, or in my case with the Basonic Temple in Windsor, the positive feelings that can come from um, uh, a building, but this is more looking at the Kind of negative effects of poor design or faulty design or in this case supernatural design, but I had to to bring that up just because I thought, you know, uh, I think it's easy to recognize the the good feelings that come with with properly built design things, but the dangers of when we don't take those things into account and the the negative results of not thinking about our neurological responses to buildings.
1: Uh, yes, I'm just writing because then I won't forget what I want to say. <laughs>
0: no worries. Uh,
1: uh, one thing uh, very important that you just mentioned is that we have, uh, sometimes we pay attention to what is good to us, but we don't really pay attention to something that in some way might uh, be harming us or be nocive to us and uh, we have this tendency of accepting spaces surrounding us and i think this is very complicated because i know we can hire an architect to change our building but this space belongs to us uh, even if we are not architects or designers and we have to question how how is it working for us is it really that good we can we don't need to hire anyone we can change i can change the layout of my room, I can paint the walls, I can bring a plant, and I can change, I don't know, my chair to be next to the window. So I, I think we should we should be more critical about the spaces we occupy, especially now during the pandemic and our homes. Uh, they are really, I know social isolation is affecting us, the fear of the pandemic is affecting us, but also being always in the same place, uh, uh, a place that was not designed to be a school and uh, an office and a home all at the same time. This is really something complicated and we need to discuss it more. And uh, uh, while you were uh, uh, reading about the angles of, of this space and, uh, and, and we discussed about shape, the shape of spaces, uh, it reminded me of a very famous study that uh, showed uh, a specific area in the brain. It's called um, amygdala. Uh, it's a very uh, a very small area uh, kind of uh, next to the center of the brain, and uh, it's responsible among other things. Uh, it's responsible for uh, uh, detecting threats. Uh, So whenever we detect any kind of threat, it will become more activated. And uh, in this uh, famous study, uh, the scientists showed to people shapes of objects, rounded objects, and uh, objects with uh, too many corners and points. uh, And uh, the amygdala was more activated when uh, people saw sharp points pointing, pointing to them. So even though they were not consciously aware of it, they were not like, oh, I'm uncomfortable. No, I'm okay, nothing different. But if you measure brain activity, you can see that the brain activity is changing and people were not aware of it. So yes, the shape of a space can uh, change the brain activity and result in changes of behavior and perception, even though we are not consciously aware of that so so yeah i think it's uh it it, it connects to all the ideas we were discussing here so i think it's a very nice study to to mention
0: it's very very cool um if people uh, i'll leave a link down in the description uh but you mentioned you know uh you're the founder of neuro au uh you you have courses on these subjects if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about neuro au where do they go? Uh, All that good stuff, social media, all that jazz.
1: Okay. Uh, I have an Instagram, uh, a neuroau Instagram. It's uh, neuro underline au. And I also, I also have my, my email on my website. Uh, It's neuroau.com, my website. And uh, my email is Andrea um at uh neuroau.com
0: perfect uh and i'll you know remind everybody like subscribe comment to this video give me money on patreon all that good jazz um i'll also mention since we've been we've been talking about it uh i do organize um virtual tours of the masonic temple windsor masonic temple for um it could be for anybody but certainly it could be also for for uh, classes or architects or any of that type of stuff. Um, and also if anybody watching this happens to ever get the chance to be in Detroit, uh, the Detroit Masonic Temple runs towards the its building. And it's, if you're interested in neuro architecture and neurology and the connections, you got to check out the Detroit Masonic Temple. It was started in 1920, finished in 1926, but I mean oh my god it is an amazing building it's the largest masonic temple in the world and it's right right that way right across the river so check it out if you can um and with that yeah thank you again so much for for taking the time this was a fascinating uh, discussion um you know the the i can't even begin to understand how the brain works Uh, uh it's just such a complicated subject but You made it simple to understand for dummy like me, so it's much appreciated.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I was very happy to be here. And I was also very happy to find out more about uh, Masonic architecture because I was not really familiar with the subject. And now I can see so many links. I, I plan to use it in my course as well and even perhaps in the future write something on my website. So I was really happy to learn with you and with uh, Masonic architecture, so thank you.